Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you today by the Western Growers Association, supporting growers that grow the best medicine in the world. Find out more at WGA.com. Now here's your Voices of the Valley host, Director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, Dennis Donahue. Good morning, this is Dennis Donahue, and I'm the Director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology in Salinas, and uh, I'm joined again by uh, my partner, uh, Candace Wilson, and we're delighted to uh, have a special and unique episode of Voices of the Valley. Candace, welcome. Thank you so much. Hi, Dennis. Howdy. And uh, I think both of us are equally, well, I know we're both very excited to be joined by Amy Tomlinson, who by day these days is the project development director for Concentric Power, who is a terrific company and uh, part of the Innovation Center. But uh, we wanted to uh, visit with Amy today in particular because we are still uh, in the midst of Military Appreciation Month and Memorial Day is on the horizon. And Amy has uh, is also still currently serving as a commander in, in the Navy and uh, really has a very distinguished military background. And part of what we want to do is have an opportunity to visit with Amy. But as we were talking about before we got on the air, as we look at uh, the requirements to, uh, uh, as ag tech takes more and more hold and root, so to speak, in, in the ag world, uh, you know, this idea of workers having uh, new skills and really being mission oriented because you have to work a lot on your own and knowing how to uh, kind of take the hill, so to speak, that the military really provides some really unique, unique training. And I think, and I think veterans are going to be a big part of the future workforce. So with all of that in, in mind, just Amy's got a great story herself, besides being a, in a mom, just finishing her MBA at Santa Clara, and she also serves on the Pacific Grove City Council, and she's smart enough to know when she walks into the center not to talk too much shop with me because I can get caught up in policy stuff, and uh, it's certainly an interesting time to be serving in the public sector. So, Amy, with all of that, welcome, and uh, and I know both Candace and I certainly want to uh, thank you for your continuing service to our country, and uh, and uh, we'd like to visit with you a little, a little bit of about your background and uh, how you ended up in, uh, in the Blue Angels and uh, just kind of what, it, what attracted you to the military and how all that got started. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, that wonderful introduction and for having me. Um, I, it's my honor to be here with you all and to answer any questions and really anything that you want to know, I'm happy to talk about. So you know, if you want to know how I started in the military, I could go all the way back uh, 20 years. Well, you know, I've, I'm, I've enjoyed working with Candace because she, she, one of the things she routinely tells me is I love science. And, and you can tell when you talk to her about what she does, she gets excited about that. How did you get, you know, as you, as you were growing up, I mean, were you always thinking about uh, the military or, or did that kind of follow up because of your interest in science adventure or whatever? I mean, what prompted all that? So um, for me, I grew, I grew up in San Diego and my dad was a Navy fighter pilot in Vietnam and my mom raised my brother and I and our group of people uh, that I was raised by were military. It was a family. We had very like-minded 
people that we were brought up with. I felt a connection with those families and I didn't realize how much it was affecting me as I was growing up. Um, I left for college and went to USC in LA. And as you, as one does, when you join college, you try to find your niche of people and, and the groups that you are, you know, most like. And I stumbled upon the ROTC program at USC. It wasn't something I set out to do uh, freshman year. I didn't walk into campus with a scholarship in hand. I I later earned one uh, at the end of my freshman year, but it was the people. It's always been the people for me with the military. And so I I ended up joining ROTC and and did a three-year scholarship at USC, which for those who don't know what that is, that's a uh, commitment to join the military once you graduate college. And there's definitely some training that goes along with it, but mostly you're just a college student who luckily the military is paying for your um, experience. So once I graduated, you know, deciding whether to go be on a ship or a submarine or Marine Corps or aviation, I, I would say that's the first time my interest of technology and, and what kind of machinery interests me um, I was influenced by my father because he flew jets and I, I don't know how it would have gone at Thanksgiving if I became a ship person, but um, I, I wanted to do aviation that I always, ever since a little girl looked to the sky when a plane flew over. So um, I put my name in the hat for aviation and started flight school straight away down in Pensacola, Florida, uh, right after I graduated. So when you go to flight school, I mean, had you flown before, uh, or that was the first time when you go to flight school? Yeah, no, so that for me, it was the first time. And, and um, one of the things I, I share with people often is, you know, don't, don't ever put yourself into a box and think that you can't do something because um, I actually pr- gave myself a bit of a disadvantage not realizing it, but I majored in public relations and journalism while I was at USC. Meanwhile, I, I, you know, you funnel down, you end up at flight school with 30 or 40 people classing up. And the, I looked around the room and most of them had engineering degrees or aeronautical degrees, or they have flown, they had, they had private pilot's license, they'd gone to the Naval Academy. And I thought, oh goodness, um, you know, how is this going to go, this indoctrination to flight school? And um, the, the very cool thing about the Navy is they teach you exactly what they want you to know like as if everybody's starting at day one. And I certainly worked hard. I did not go to the bars and to the, out to the pubs as often as everybody else um, in order to, to do well in flight school because I didn't have that background, um, but you didn't, you didn't need it. And um, I'm very thankful that uh, someone must have mentored me along the way to be able to think I could do it, but to not close that door and think, oh, I, I didn't major in engineering or I didn't major in, aeronautics and I don't have flight experience. So I shouldn't, I should close that aviation door because um, flight school is two years. And in the end with hard work and going to the simulators over and over again, I wallpapered my bathroom with the control panel of the airplane I was flying to be able to study and practice at all times. Um, I eventually was able to learn you know, all that I needed to know to graduate at the top of my class and select jets and, and go off to Virginia uh, a couple of years later to fly F-14s. F-14. Hey, Amy, I have a question for you. Yes. I went to an air show once 
and saw the F-22 put on this incredible show that left this like lasting impression on me. It was incredible. I have no idea how those planes maneuver, how they do. So tell me about the (laughs) F-14. And I would love to hear just about some of your experiences and what it's like to be in the plane. And can you kind of just like describe that sort of thrill? Yeah, it, it was uh, an absolute thrill to be able to fly in that aircraft in particular. The F-14 was going away at that time. It had been around and in service since the 70s. Um, and this was 2002 when I went to fly the F-14. Um, and uh, it's the same aircraft from the movie Top Gun, which if you tell that to a group of high school kids nowadays, they don't know what you're talking about, which is very sad to me. But this summer, a new Top Gun 2 is coming out. So hopefully that'll all change. But my era, everybody who was in flight school was there because of Top Gun. Um, you know, it came out in the 80s and it was just the right timing for that. Um, and so the F-14 is that same aircraft that Maverick and Goose fly in. And the, it, it was, it's just very exciting to fly. And, you know, another cool thing about the Navy is, is as soon as you get comfortable or get good at something, so, you know, I finished flight school, I went over, went, moved to Virginia and spent a year learning my new fleet aircraft, as they call it, the F-14. It's not a trainer anymore. Um, and you think, all right, I'm, I'm going to go to my first squadron. And then now you're on an aircraft carrier. And you, it's a whole different ballgame. You need to learn to take off and land from an aircraft carrier, which is in a matter of three seconds going from zero to 150 miles per hour as you get launched off an aircraft carrier. It's, there's no way to describe that feeling. It's something I can uh, put myself back into that feeling at any moment. Um, it, it's a kick in the pants. <laughs> and then trying to do it at nighttime um, and, and then also landing on the aircraft carrier. So the thing is, as soon as you get comfortable or good at doing something, flying in good weather, flying with a, a plane that you're comfortable in, the, they change the game, you know, that you'll go out and fly where it's not perfect weather. You'll fly at night, you'll fly in combat, you'll add weapons, you'll add um, different layers of complexity to the mission. And before you know it, you look back a few years and, and you are doing something you never thought you could do. And I believe that uh, that can apply to any industry or any area of somebody's life. Um, when, when you take it in that step-by-step approach. Um, you know, Amy, you're, you know, what you just described, even like, I feel like I can make this parallel back to agriculture. I remember about eight years ago, sitting in the audience at a produce marketing association meeting, and it was in this, um, anticipating the future. What is the future of agriculture going to look like? And I remember the guest speaker standing up and, and asking the crowd, you know, he was kind of trying to provoke some thought, um, but describing what a future farm would look like with drones flying everywhere, taking, projecting the yield on your fields and robots harvesting the crop and such. And, and I remember the conversations at the show after that, um, after that speaker and everybody was like, no way, that's not going to happen. You know, ag is ag, that sort of thing. And now I think Dennis about all the conversations that we're having in this industry and it's here. It's it's totally happening. So I think, Amy, like to your point, it's like 
every day we make small steps moving things forward and there's this constant evolution. And then before you know it, you're looking back and robots are harvesting your field. Absolutely. And I think we as people who are in the industry are, you know, you can have moments of your day where you're very stuck in exactly what's right in front of you. But it is important to sometimes take a step back and look at the higher level of where are we headed? Is it for the better of the, you know, our country, for our industry, for our planet? And make sure that we're not just making decisions that are specific for our niche or our own business in itself. Sure. You know, Amy, I, and, and I want to uh, kind of pick up on kind of the continuum of, of your career, but kind of picking up on the thread of the conversation that just took place. You know, one of the things I was struck by, and we're going to, we're going to encourage folks to go back to a, a video that uh, you made with a couple of your uh, veteran colleagues in the center several months ago at the end of the show. But you know, you, you spoke then about how the military, really, there's this, you're, you're part of something bigger than yourself, yet you've also kind of have to have that ability to work, work on your own and a sense of mission and how that really fits into kind of an entrepreneurial environment. And, and, and of course, the other thing I like, and Candace alluded to this, you know, we were just down in the desert, which will be the segue to the to the Blue Angels, because down in El Centro, they're still they're still very proud to say that's the home of the Blue Angels. But I was talking to somebody, you know, multi generational, and you know, he was talking about he had he had married into it. He never really anticipated doing uh, ag like he is now and running a company. And I said, well, I said it's a good thing you did. You know, God God forbid any of us had to get real jobs. Instead, we got a way of life. And I think that's one of the things I've always liked so much about our industry, but, you know, you've alluded to that, you know, in all your comments, how, how the military is a, a way of life and where you, you're part of something bigger than yourself yet, you got to be a little self-reliant to get stuff done. And uh, your background certainly serves you well as, as you, even, even though you're still, you're not as active in the military, you're still part of it, but it would seem to me that that really has prepared you for a lot of your current roles. Absolutely. Um, I, I definitely had a choice, you know, when I when I went into stepped off of active duty in 2012 um, and went into the reserves, I did that mostly so I could start a family. Uh, and then during that process, I went back to school and got my MBA and found myself searching for an industry that I could find the right people again, um, because I found the Navy through because of the people, it, you know, it's, it's a nuance. Definitely. I was interested in flying airplanes, but I know for a fact that then what kept me there and happy and has kept me in the Navy to this day is the people that you serve with. And I was lucky enough to find concentric power and it's an incredible team of people. And they've introduced me and, 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 uh, to the ag industry. I'm still very much a newcomer. Um, but I felt like it's, been um, very welcoming and a lot of similarities of the mission, um, the type of people, the caliber of people that I met in the military. Um, and as far as a, a way of doing things, uh, and I, I talk about this in some of my motivational speeches that I give nowadays to, to kids and things is in, in the Navy, if you're going to hire a veteran or if you're going to have a military person, you with it comes this mindset of what I call this brief fly debrief approach, 
where you brief something, whatever it is that you're going to be doing that day. This is ingrained in us from day one. We, we brief it up. We're going to go do a flight. Uh, we talk about it for a couple of hours. We go and we execute it and we do it. And then most people stop there. They, they finish for the day and they go home. But in the Navy, you do not stop there. You come back and you get together and you review what you just did. And you, it's called a debrief. And there's lessons learned. There's positive things that have happened. There are negative things that happened. And you, you take that on to the, to the next day. And so it's this circle of improvement um, that is very much ingrained in, especially in the military aviation, but I think in the military as a whole. And I've really enjoyed bringing that to concentric power and to the ag industry. And I think any industry can benefit from adding that cycle and that approach to what they do in business. Well, particularly, you know, the whole innovation cycle, because one of the things, and, you know, I've been involved, quote unquote, in ag tech as a space, so to speak, for, you know, a dozen years, you know, when, as a mayor for economic development and then with Western growers. And it's a lengthier cycle time than, than people realize. So that, you know, having that smart business process sure seems to me to make a lot of sense, particularly as our challenges in the industry mount. And I know strategically we're working to be more intentional rather than random in the sense we'll let things set up, you know, now when, when you have to kind of start nudging things. Uh, so no, those, those sound like good words and they prompt a question. I do want to ask you about uh, future workforce and, and really frankly, how to get young people excited about agriculture, but, but I don't want to let wiggle off the hook. You're becoming a blue angel. Talk about that. And I think you're, earlier comments about, well, of course, a journalism major became a blue angel. What did you expect? <laughs> Not necessarily that. So talk about that. I mean, that really speaks to there. No, don't be constrained by any uh, perceptions of what you can or can't do. Yes, definitely. I, I have tried hard not to constrain myself in life. And uh, the time period, you know, we were kind of at was the F-14 and learning that aircraft and that was, again, while I was living in Virginia, and uh, we I went on two combat deployments on the Roosevelt uh, into Operation Iraqi Freedom. And then when I came back, it was time to be out of that cycle and be able to stay home for a while. So I moved to Lemoore, California, which was really the first time I got to look down while I was flying on a lot of agriculture and learn about agriculture. So I lived in the Central Valley from 2006 till pretty much 2012, there was the two years I left to go be on the Blue Angels. But I spent three years as an instructor in Lemoore, learning the Super Hornet and teaching other brand new pilots how to fly the Super Hornet um, for nearly three years. Um, while I was there, the opportunity to apply to the Blue Angels came up. And, you know, actually, I was uh, one of the biggest reasons that I, I knew it was something I wanted to do. They had never picked a girl aviator to be on the team. And I'm a backseater, I'm not a front seater. So um, I was called a Naval Flight Officer and they hadn't had a pilot, they hadn't had a Naval Flight Officer backseater. And so I didn't know whether they would pick me or not, but I figured I had all the qualifications, why not? And I had just met Nicole Malakowski, who was a female Thunderbird pilot. She was the first female Thunderbird pilot in 2006. And I, it encouraged me um, to meet someone like that who, who was similar to me. And so I put my name in the hat, 12 people applied and I got selected 
And it was a, a total dream come true. The public relations major actually came in real handy, actually. <laughs> when I'll bet. My job is to represent the Navy and Marine Corps at air shows across the country every weekend. So I did get to use that. And that was 2009 and 10. And in 2009, we did the Salinas Air Show. Um, so I remember raging around at 50 feet above a lot of the farms right there next to the airport. Um, I very vividly remember the, we, we tried to have the workers not be in the fields for their safety, but it, we couldn't get everybody removed. So they got quite a show. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah the, you left a yeah. lasting impression on them. Yeah. Well, both shows must go on, Amy. You know, it was, uh, you know, if you're if, during the air show, even though it moves around a little bit, you're. You're definitely in season. So what I have a is, question, actually. sure, go Sorry ahead. Yeah, no, no, you, please. You have children? I do. Yes. They did. They yeah. came later. <laughs> so, I did. Yeah. I'm just like, you have to be the coolest mom on the planet. You're like in a league of your own, you know, your children get so many exciting things to talk about. Well, thank you. I, you know, what's really funny is they, um, they're nine and seven. And so their whole life, I haven't, you know, they know that daddy, my dad or their dad is an F-18 and F-14 pilot as well, but he turned into a physics professor for the Navy and I've turned into an energy nerd at concentric power <laughs> and that's what they think we do. So they, oh my gosh. they are, we'll slowly let them know that we had these careers in the Navy. They, they kind of know about it, but if you met my son and said, what does your mom do? He would say, she works at Concentric Power and makes microgrids. And he's very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. At least he's proud. He doesn't know how, how unique and special his parents are. Well, someday. Someday. We'll make sure. I try to take him to a bunch of air shows. And it was cool in 2019 when the Blue Angel team came back to Salinas. And now I was living here and, and really felt a... Um, it, you know, them coming home for a home show and this becoming our home. And I took my kids to the show. So it was really neat. Very cool. So Amy, when you get, when you get on the circuit and do motivational speaking, what, what do you ask to talk about the most often? And that's question number one. And then the kind of the follow-up is while Duflack and I just came back for a tour throughout the state, we were down in the desert and there was, there's a real conversation taking place these days about how do you attract young people to our industry and and what uh, you know i i think there are a lot of terrific opportunities and but it is an industry particularly the more science-based uh and tech-based that uh, you know jobs become and re require we're, we're going to be competing for talent so you know having lived in you know a couple different worlds where those are requisite skills you know, what occurs to you how to attract people to the ag industry? Yeah, so, well, for the motivational speaking uh, that I get contacted, it, it's kind of a, a variety. So sometimes it'll be a high school setting to talk to kids. Sometimes it's a rotary club to for communities. And most often it's businesses. And in, in the business sense, um, I've been asked to be focused in on women in particular. And for example, I spoke up at Apple and they wanted me to talk to their finance department and the women in finance, because there aren't a lot of women in, that choose that field. And um, so they wanted me to, to speak about what it was like to be the only female in a fighter squadron 
um, in my career path. And we found a lot of similarities and a lot of things to discuss. So that was a, a fun opportunity. So I've given quite a few talks in that realm. And then when they're more general of just all the folks in the audience, um, you know, how do you get started on something that's very hard or that seems overwhelming or difficult? How do you believe in yourself and not limit yourself to think that you can accomplish, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that is. And I believe um, telling the story and trying to relate to folks about, you know, finding ROTC and having the wrong major, but still accomplishing uh, a lot with the Navy and being able to, you know, apply to the Blue Angels. It's interesting. One of the most common things I found when I was on the road 310 days a year meeting folks and signing autographs is people would come up and say I could never do what you do and I there's a small nuance but I, I believe that's not true anybody could do it they don't want to and and so don't ever limit I always tell people don't limit yourself you're the only one that will tell you if you can't do something um, and oftentimes it just comes down to saying yes to an to an opportunity um, so that's the speaking question. But Dennis, you asked about, you know, how do we attract uh, talent to the ag industry? And, um, you know, the, my perspective on hiring or finding good people is, is a little different. I don't look at resumes very carefully. I don't think that having the laundry list of the perfect resume is what you're looking for. You really need to understand the person and and look for their you know sustained superior performance over time in whatever industry they've been in, um, and the aptitude for wanting to learn new things, and the ability to be handed a, a task, uh, process it, understand it, and then make it better, uh, and have that self-driving ability. Um, if you can find people like that, then then invest in the time that it takes them to teach them what you want them to know and work within your organization, and you will succeed. I really do believe in that, uh, and and for military folks, that very much applies. They, you know, maybe they don't have the ag background that you are looking for, but I guarantee if it's the right fit personality-wise for your company, if you invest the six months into training them what they need to know for your particular industry, you will never regret that time. It will be worth it. Well, that's a great, a great message. Candice? I just have a question and, you know, I, I don't know what I don't know here. So I'll, I'll start with that. But are there any existing programs or models about how to be recruiting veterans into agriculture? Are there any ideas, um, you know, specifically about building programs and, and doing something like that? I, I don't know of any in particular. I can tell you that when it comes time for a service member to leave the military, we do a TAPS class. It's called, um, I actually don't remember what the acronym stands for. It's very acronym heavy in the Navy. Um, but at those types of events, and they're usually week long courses where you're learning all ways to different, different ways to transition um, out of the military. And there's opportunity for recruiting during that and showing up or having a representative that could come and speak about the ag industry um, to try to entice that, that talent pool. But separately, what I've noticed is some very well-known companies that we 
uh, all have heard of, like Amazon, for example, they have a leadership pipeline where um, for officers in particular, in their distribution facilities, something that would take you maybe a 10 year career track, they'll take a military officer with six or seven years experience who's coming out of the military, put them on this accelerated timeline. And in three years, they'll be where that 10 year person, if they started from the get go would be. And the, the pay is, is with it as well. Um, another company, uh, Workday, they offer programs where you do this six month paid internship. And at the end of it, you know, the, the military person gets to decide if they you know, were a good fit and you get to decide if they were a good fit. Um, and it helps make that transition for the veteran. And I think companies that offer that are very smart to be tapping into that talent pool and making that transition. And it doesn't ne necessarily only need to be for military folks. I think it can apply to a transitioning parent who took time off to get their from their career for raising a child up to be school-aged, let's say, and they're trying to step back in or make a, a shift in their career, um, having uh, on ramp like that is is a, a very good talent pool um, and it's a good offering. Absolutely, thank you. I think Dennis, that's something. I know you're pretty passionate about taking taking care of the veterans and exploring opportunities for them. So maybe that's an ongoing conversation we should. Well, have. I, I think it's I think it's one that our industry ought to take up uh, a, a little more seriously and 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 directly and. Uh, and I, and I just continue to be struck by, um, as, as we look at the ag, you know, the ag tech world and, and, you know, upskilling current workforce and, and attracting people, I, I think, you know, and I'm going to guess Amy would confirm this. I, I think part of what is exciting about the military is you do get to learn new skills. And, uh, and I think you illustrated it perfectly. What might take 10 years, you can insert into a three-year, three-year program. And, you know, it, just having moved around the state and working on some of the things we're working on in terms of we're dubbing it a new kind of worker campaign, I'm already hearing the shortage of current jobs in terms of skilled labor, much less the sorts of things we have to get ready to address tomorrow. And and I just think veterans, uh, you know, almost on a de facto basis, just appear to be perfect candidates. And and I think I think you know, technology is going to require a lot more individual operators. So I think that sense of mission and those skills, I think the military and the other thing is, and Amy, you would certainly know this better, better than I, but, but a lot of folks who are, are veterans do, do come from uh, um, smaller communities, at, at, you know, farming communities. And, and I, I would imagine after a tour of duty, the opportunity to, to go home is appealing. And uh, so if you can combine all those things, I think it's, I think it's a great opportunity. I, I would agree. I think that, that you're right. There are a lot of folks that serve in the military from all over our country. And so many of folks that would, would like to live in agricultural communities. And I think we're headed into a technology era that if you maybe 30 years ago signed up in the ag industry, you didn't have to be as accustomed to change where and I know there's been changes, absolutely, but the changes are going to just keep coming faster. 
And uh, I, one of the things in the military is that you, you know, once you get comfortable, they ask you to push the envelope. They ask you to recognize uh, the, the changes quickly. And we, we look at that as a way for, you know, forcing that discomfort in a way to, to ultimately achieve growth. And so you want to have a workforce that isn't going to push back and say, I just want to do it the way we've always done it, you know, and, and have that round table where you're in an echo chamber of people who don't want to embrace the new ways or this suggested ideas or changes. Um, and, and hopefully the cultural fit, uh, I believe, for veterans would be ideal to be able to embrace those ideas and the changes and and then the last part is the cultural fit. I think the ag industry, I've found a lot of very similar, like-minded, wonderful people to work with. So it's a great match. You know, Amy, you just talk about what, what you just said about you getting comfortable and then you get pushed to the, to the next thing or the next challenge. And it really struck a chord with me this week because I have to tell you, my, we just went through, I used to work in corporate America so I worked for Monsanto Bayer for a long time, for 15 years. And over the last year, I just made the leap to start up mainly just um, to do something fresh and new and really move things forward. But, you know, corporate life is slow and I needed some more, you know, enthusiasm, some more speed. And my boss kicked my butt last week getting ready for the investor meetings. I had never like had to put together you know, this new business strategy on our own. We were looking at each other. Both of us came from the corporate world and we're like, where's the finance guy? And we realized like, we're the finance guy. So anywhere that we all have those moments in our careers that we will always remember when you just get your butt kicked and you get pushed out of that comfort zone. But, um, but you look back on those times and you just feel so accomplished and almost just eager for the next butt kicking, you know? <laughs> Well, that's growth. I mean, that is growth. That I absolutely can can totally relate to that. And and uh, the discomfort is it's the process of learning and growing and getting better at your trade. So uh, the Navy was just incredible at doing that to you. As soon as you'd go out and have a successful flight, get two aboves, and you feel great, and you go go celebrate that evening. The next day, you look on the flight schedule, and you're like, what? I'm doing that at night with four planes now. <laughs> I, well, I, I would imagine you get a pretty good set of nerves given your background, Amy, that, uh, you know, that issue of pressure. I, I you know, ob obviously you're playing for all the marbles, life and death uh, in terms of nerves and all of that. So I, you know, and my, and my son who was in the Navy and uh, who, you know, now he's a buyer and I remember him describing the intensity of the watermelon deal and uh, you know and uh, you know he's got 300 trucks on the road and, and god forbid one's late and you know i mean my i'm not having served but i remember those times being on the desk and i'm gonna let a customer down and you know he would just say look dad nobody died if the truck's late <laughs> <laughs> you know so the military certainly gives you great perspective on things and i and i think we can all all use that and you know but i told alan i said my son i said you know the ability to you know kind of ride tall in the saddle and you've got a lot of pressure and you've got perishable items and 300 trucks and who's going to hit the ability to uh, you know handle handle pressure is 
that's certainly a great transferable skill also. And I, and I think as I look at the industry today, there is going to be a lot of change and rapid change. And so you've, you know, you've got to be mentally, mentally tough to, to deal with all that. And, and uh, I'm going to guess uh, you got some pretty good training in that regard. Yeah, definitely. I think there, there will be rapid change and with it, you have to adapt and, and flex and there'll be failures as well. And um, I think, you're right, Dennis. And, you know, when, when you, if you take a step back, at least for me, if I take a step back for something that might've not gone quite right at work, I can oftentimes put it into perspective. I've lost a lot of service members due, you know, to accidents and crashes and, and things like that. So I don't get as worked up over things, but I also, you know, people have asked me about bravery or being confident and, and how, how you can get better at that. If they, if they find themselves scared often in the workplace or unsure about asking for that next promotion or just not having that confidence, that comes from only from experience. Uh, you know, I, I never had this, un, you know, I didn't get born with an extra amount of confidence, I don't believe. Uh, I think that having, going out and sometimes failing and sometimes succeeding and actually just doing something over and, and experiencing it and achieving at it, um, ultimately I'm, I'm 43 now. And so my confidence is there because I have this track history of, of being able to do, do things. And so um, that same logic will apply that if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, you're starting something like Candace was talking about, you, the next time it comes around when you are going to get beat up by the finance guys, you will do better. You will be more confident and more prepared for it because you've sweated it. You've gotten through it once. And um, that, that's just a natural part of, of business, I think. Well, she was saying before we came on the air, she can't wait to get at the finance guys again. So she's ready to go. As long as you debrief, Candace. <laughs> that's right. You know, and it's funny, you were talking about not until I came here, but um, when I first started at Green Venus, they handed me a Harvard Business Review of an after action review. And so much of what they spoke about, all their examples were from the military. So we, we first used that um, in our business whenever there was something that didn't go quite right. And, and I think, you know, your comment made me think we should also really start incorporating this a lot more for the victories too on what worked really well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and in the Navy debriefs were long hour and a half, two hour flight debriefs and they were kind of exhausting. But in business, I've, I've come to realize it can be a five minute phone call, quick debrief. You know, how was that meeting for you? Was there anything you would have liked differently in that meeting? You know, and, and then all of a sudden somebody can speak up and say, hey, it would have been better if you'd asked the question this way. Um, or it would have been better if you were on time or whatever. <laughs> and then sure. it gives you that immediate feedback because if you wait three months or six months or a year to get your feedback, it always ends up as a, you're doing great, keep going. And that's not actually the feedback you're looking for um, to grow. So for sure, I agree. Well, Amy, we sure appreciate all, you know, you're being available today because we know like you alluded to earlier, when Top Gun 2 comes out, we probably never would have been able to get you and you'll have an agent and you're going to be cool again and the kids are going to know all about their mom. So uh, we're uh, we're delighted we caught you a little bit in 
it's not a downtime for being being a mom, a council person, and working for Concentric Power. But uh, you know, I can see why you're on the circuit, and uh, so we're we're uh, delighted you spent some time with us. And uh, I certainly, you know, we we hear it all the time, as we should. Uh, we really appreciate your service to the to the country. And Amy, I have to tell you, one of the things that I'm most excited about because the world is opening up again is taking my boys to an air show because that was their favorite thing. So I hope we get to see you around. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, both of you. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. And, uh, you know, it's my pleasure to have served. It was a wonderful career choice, but I also feel very honored to be a part of this community here now and in the ag world and, and the open arms um, that I've felt in the last year and a half as I've made my transition um, has really made a big difference. So I am thankful for that to anyone who's listening. And, and well, and Amy, without knowing any future direction, you know, all, all I know is I'm glad I live in Salinas rather than Pacific Grove because I wouldn't want to run against you for mayor. I, uh, <laughs> I, I like your prospects. So uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> well, so, um, San Francisco every year is the air show. So if, if the Thunderbirds are at the Felina show, we can always do. They're wonderful, too. But San Francisco is the Blue Angels every year. And it's a great show to watch. Well, I've, I've, I've already got a AgTech X show for you in mind down in, in, in Imperial. So you talk about uh, kids and careers and uh, you know, to have to have the first uh, female blue angel in tow. I, I mean, you'll be a draw. We're, we'll know how to market you. So uh, anyway, listen, I hope you and your family have a uh, well-deserved Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we will see you in the center as California opens up. Sounds great. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. And thanks for joining us uh, on Voices of the Valley. And uh, Candace and I will be back next week. Bye, have a good everybody. Memorial Day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley podcast, brought to you today by Western Growers Association, supporting producers that grow the best medicine in the world. Find out more at WGA.com.